welcome to Thriving with Mental Illness, a podcast with real talk, an open and honest conversation about issues surrounding mental health. There are no topics that are off limits and no questions that aren't okay to ask. I'm Mikkel Buck, author, public speaker, and suicide survivor who's lived with mental illness for over 20 years. And with me is my guy, Adam. Hey guys, welcome back. We are in the middle of a nice, hot Phoenix, Arizona summer. Well, I think everyone's in the middle of a nice, hot Arizona summer wherever you live. It has been crazy. Yeah. The temperature is all over the place. So I think, you know, we're kind of used to this sort of thing. Yeah. But I'm sure across the nation, um, this is new. This is. Triple digits. So we figured for an update this week, in lieu of an update about our family, we would offer tips for everyone on how to survive in 117 degrees. Because like you said, we're used to it. We do this all summer. And these are things we've actually uh, experienced. All of these things are learned by awful, awful mistakes (laughs) that we've paid the price for. So... We're offering yes. them for free to you. Five, You're welcome. Five free tips on mm-hmm. living in ridiculously hot weather. Yes. So, uh, number one, uh, no lipstick in the car. Or the purse. Or the purse. Yes. Before I moved to Arizona, I was a lipstick gal. Not that I left lipstick everywhere, but I would always have it in my purse or on me or something because, hey, I love to look fancy, Right. Moved to Arizona, within a week, I think I had three tubes melt all all over inside my purse. Even when I bring them into the store with me, just the fact of walking from the car to to the store, whatever, it melts everywhere. So the solution, ladies, is lip gloss. You are now to become a lip gloss person. And the reason why is it is already liquid and it has a screw on top. So no more lipstick, only lip gloss. Also goes to uh, the same rule for chapstick. No chapstick left Mm. in the car or on your person. That is a dangerous thing. Unless it's the bees, Burt's beeswax. That one has more wax in it. So that one won't melt as much. So if you must Uh do a chapstick, do that one, but keep it in a pocket. It still can't be in a purse or a car. Well, the second one is similar to Mm -hmm. it, but Mm -hmm. no crayons. No crayons. Don't put crayons if you've got kids. And they bring crayons in the and car, they, like activities. they leave them. You become a colored pencil family. There is no such thing as a crayon family when you live in 117 degrees. Again, learned by awful mistake. Ruins the car. Just don't do it. Take our word for it. And this is a little bit of a moot point, but also no CDs. I mean, we've kind of moved right. past that. But True. there were several that were left on a dashboard and to come out and find them to like melt it up into like little bowl shapes. So no, no CDs. Uh, another one that we've learned, if you go out of town during the extreme heat, don't turn off your AC. <laughs> in an attempt to save money on your electric attempt, bill? Because, yeah, you're, I mean, logically you think, hey, I'll just turn off the AC. Yeah, no one's in the house. Yeah, well, why waste all the electricity? You know what is still in the house, though? All of your wax candles, mm. all of your cooking ingredients, chocolate that you may or may not have stashed in your underwear drawer. And when you come home, you will be sorry. Sorry that you turned the AC off. That is all. Whatever money you saved in the electric bill, Mm. you're going to spend 10 times over in replacing all of the things that got ruined. Yes. And then when you get back in town and your inside of your house is 120 degrees. Yeah. Your AC is going to work overtime for like two days to try to bring it back down. So just not bright. You're not doing yourself any favors. No. Uh, The other thing is uh, don't go outside barefoot. 
No. That's a, a mm-hmm. tendency that we have is to just, I just need something real quick. Like I'm just going to run to the car or I'm just going to stand on the porch and talk to someone. Yeah. No, you will get third degree burns on the bottom of your feet, no matter how short the distance is. Because this is another thing, like when we first moved here, I wondered if you really could scramble eggs on the sidewalk, right? The kids and I went out and had an experiment one day. And yes, in fact, you can. It takes like three or four minutes for the egg to get scrambled on the front of the sidewalk in front of our house. Mm -hmm. But that is why you go out barefoot. You are literally standing on a hot burning pan and you're going to scald your feet. So no more barefoot flip flops by every door. Yes. And the last one, uh, bring a sweater when you're going indoors, other places. Yes. All summer long, I have to bring a sweater with me everywhere. Which is I funny. know it's 118 degrees outside, but inside everyone tries to overcompensate. So it's like 60 degrees. Yeah. So just the extreme going back and forth, I'm always freezing in grocery shopping or stores or movie theater. So I always have to bring a sweater everywhere I go. I don't know if that's the case everywhere because I don't know if everywhere's like equipped to handle that, that kind of heat. The so I don't know Arctic if the AC. Blasts. Right. So that. <laughs> Maybe a specific Arizona thing, but if you come here in the summer, bring a sweater. It always cracks me up in the summer when it's so hot. We go into a movie or something, and when we come out, you love to get in the hot car. I do. The car's like 140 degrees. I'm like a little lizard. I get in, I'm like, oh, this feels so good. <laughs> like a sauna that just warms you right up. Well, and there, I do want to give one bonus one that I just thought of. Okay. If you have people from outside of the hot place that think it's a good idea to send you chocolate for your birthday, oh uh, gosh, tell them that that's not a good idea. It does my, not work. My my grandma, I love her. She uh, would always send me these uh, chocolates on my birthday. Well, and your birthday's in April. It's not even the middle of the summer. It's yeah. April, early April. And so every time she sends them, though, now. It comes in this melted goo. It's like a melted lump. We put it in the freezer because it's liquid by the time it gets here. Yeah. And it's sealed. So it's, you know, liquid sealed. But they we literally just like chisel it off with a knife to get the little hunks. <laughs> so you can still eat it, but it just looks messy and sloppy. <laughs> it does. But it doesn't. But, you should just skip that one. Like, yeah. I don't know. Send something else. Send Although, a gift card. I'm going to accept them as long as she's That's alive. Right. That's right. So anyway, those are the tips. Those are our tips. Hopefully those will help you guys out in the extreme triple digit weather Mm -hmm. that people are experiencing. The other also bonus bonus is Mm. if you're outside and the sprinklers are ever on, no matter what you're wearing and no matter where you are, run through the sprinklers. For sure, you think you're going to get all wet, 60 seconds later, you're bone dry. But you're cool for, you know, at least two minutes. So always run through the sprinklers. Well, Sean and I did that this morning on our walk, and I posted a story about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's our public service announcement. That's right. To get us started on our topic today. Hopefully do you have a meme of you. the week? I do. Our meme of the week is reposted by my favorite mental illness account from a bipolar mind, but uh, it's it's not posted specifically for mental illness. This is from Amy Weatherly, and she said, do you know who really stresses me out? Me. It's me. I stress me out. <laughs> Thank you, Amy Weatherly. We loved it. I've always been wondering who really stresses us out. And it's ourselves. <laughs> yeah. These are the ones that Ellen and I send back and forth all the time. And she's like, I know, I know. And she'll send me something and we laugh hysterically. <laughs> well, we wanted to share some humorous things at the beginning because this is kind of a heavier topic. Yeah, today. it is. And uh, recently, um, we've just 
heard of two or three individuals that have had suicide attempts. Well, I've had listeners reach out three different circumstances in the past couple weeks Mm -hmm. of attempts, either themselves or in the family. And so the question is always like, what do I do? How do we handle this? And, And really what the advice is moving forward, because I know how much people want to love and help. And there are some things, there are many, many ways to show that you love and care, but there are also some things that really you, you probably shouldn't do that, that could make things a lot harder. So we just kind of want to talk through some of those things and let people know like what it feels like when you're going through a suicide attempt and like ways to say you care and what to say and and also what not to say. Yeah. So before we get into that, um, do you want to talk a little bit about, and you can talk from your own perspective, maybe not, it doesn't apply to every single person, but, but kind of how are you feeling and what's going on, um, after a, a suicide attempt. Right. I mean, obviously it's in the intro. I've attempted suicide. And so I know leading up to it, you know, everything that was going on in my own head and in our own family and in my own mind. So I do have that experience to draw from that maybe a lot of people don't, but, but I've said this before in one of our very early episodes explaining what suicide is and like why attempt for me, it was never about wanting to die. That was never it. It was never about giving up, not wanting to live anymore. It was also never about not feeling loved or cared for. And so I think those are common misconceptions Misconceptions. and none of those things were true. The only thing that was true is the weight was so heavy. I needed a break from the weight and I did not know how to do it. And so I, I feel like I had tried other things and nothing was giving me the break. And I just felt like I cannot live like this forever. And it had nothing to do with, like I said, any of those other things, wanting to die or not feeling loved or, or giving up or not feeling hopeful. It just had to do with, I can't handle this weight. It needs to stop now. So then after the suicide attempt, then obviously, you know, you're, you're trying to pick up the pieces and figure out what happened and where do you go yeah. from there? Cause I've also said this in the past, I knew that I was not doing well, but the attempt actually surprised me a little bit. I had thought about, you know, if I'm not gonna, but if I were, this is how I would do it. But again, I'm not gonna. Right. And so even when the attempt happened, I remember, I mean, it, it all was kind of a blur, but I do remember waking up in the hospital afterwards realizing what had just happened and, and being a little bit shocked that it had actually happened. Yeah. So, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't thought out. It wasn't a plan. I didn't have it in place. I had an idea in the back of my mind, but I did not think that I was there Mm -hmm. and I did not think that that was going to happen. So kind of snuck up on me. Yeah. And you know, it's gotta be emotionally and physically draining to go through something like that. Yeah. Surprise. When you attempt to take your own life, it's exhausting in so many levels. Like physically, it took a while for my body to recover. I was flat. I was sleeping 20 hours a day. I mean, it took a long time just for my body to even recover from that attempt. And then of course, you know, mentally, emotionally, it's the same thing. It like takes a lot of recovery time to get to the point where you're able to get back up and start functioning again. So, yeah. And during that time, like immediately after, there's probably only a handful of people you really want to talk to. Mm -hmm. Um, But what was your experience with that? Well, my experience, I didn't want to talk to anyone. So my experience, I came home and my mom came up 
and stayed with us. And she guarded our front door like a fire-breathing dragon. I was <laughs> so thankful for it, but she didn't let anyone in. And it was because I had asked her not to. Yeah. And it's it's not... I really wanted to know that people cared. So I know that sounds like those two aren't congruent, mm-hmm. but they actually are because when people reach out, it meant so much to me. Even when they would knock at the, at the door and my mom would, you know, thank you for stopping by. I'll let her know you stopped by. I didn't have any interaction with anybody that came to the door. She was here for like a week and a half maybe. Yeah. But sometimes people would drop off a treat or sometimes... You know, they would shoot a text and I didn't respond to any of it. Yeah. So, but having people reach out, I was just so depleted and so exhausted. I did not have the energy to respond in any way, shape or form. Yeah. But having people reach out was so, so meaningful when it was just like, Hey, I, you know, I'm thinking of you. I love you. I'm glad you're okay. Type thing. I'm here for you. Well, and as you're talking about it, I don't know that it's a lot different from people who, have a severe physical illness that they're working through. They, they, you know, had heart surgery or they've had, you know, some big, uh, physical, you know, surgery or illness or something like that. I think some of these are going to apply. Yeah. You know, cause it is, it's, it's a similar thing, uh, where you need help. And I think the challenge is for those, you know, support people, the loved ones, the people around you is trying to figure out how to walk that line. How do I show that I love you and care about you without overspending and taxing and and doing things that stress you out? I mean, I, I do agree with what you're saying, but I also think it's not exactly the same because when you're asking somebody, how did your knee surgery go? So what, you know, how are you feeling recovery wise? Those you can't, you can't apply those same type of questions to somebody who's attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's very different in that manner in that you, you can't go in and ask those questions. And that's why I didn't want to talk to anybody because the first question that everybody asks is, is what happened? What happened? Why did you do this? Are you okay? Don't you know, I love you. I'm like, Oh gosh. Okay. Again, let's go back to that's not what this was at all in the first place. I needed a break. I did not know how to get everything to stop. That's all this was, was I was trying to put a stop to all the weight that was on me. And so I, Like, don't ever ask what happened. I don't even know what the H happened. I woke up in the hospital going, what in the heck just happened? I don't even know. So I I obviously don't know the answer to that. So having other people field a question like that, I'm not equipped to feel that answer. You know, I don't want other people asking me that question because I, I don't know what the answer is. I think also one of the other reasons why I didn't want to see people, and it happened a little bit. Uh, sometimes when I would hear people come to the door, they were really, really upset, which I get. I mean, these are people that are important to me in my life that I love, and they were really upset. And, and you know, I don't want to say freaking out. That's not the right word. But definitely everybody's emotions were on their sleeve. But I felt like for me in my situation, I you got to come to me cool, calm, and collected. I am not in any type of position to reassure anybody else or talk anybody else off a ledge or assure everyone that I'm going to be okay and you're going to be okay and we're all going to be okay together. I am just not in a position to do that. So I feel like it's pretty good advice to make sure that you have your own emotions and feelings under control so that you have that stability to offer somebody and you're not going to them stressed out and crying and hysterical that you almost lost them. 
And it sounds, it might sound a little bit harsh, but it can't be about you at all. So when people come and they say, you know, oh my gosh, if I would have lost you, you know what that would have done to me? Oh my gosh, that would have been so hard. Well, I'm sorry to inconvenience you in the situation. Obviously, it's equally as hard for me too. And so, like I said, I know that sounds harsh and maybe a little bit rude, and, and that's kind of an extreme way to put it, but I feel like that's still a true principle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think the challenge is, you know, we've talked about this, even parenting teenagers, it's being able to listen and just shut your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a an important skill to develop. And as parents, we've had to, you know, figure out when you, when it's time to talk and when it's time to listen, when Mm -hmm. it's time to give advice, when it's time to not give advice. And I think the same is true here. Well, it's It's, like when Mark was on our licensed marriage and family therapist, and he said, you know, when somebody talks to you, is this an ear, shoulder or mouth moment? Am I here to listen? Am I here to be shoulder to cry in? Or am I here to give you advice? actually had the situation with Ella. She called me a couple mornings ago and was like, mom, this just happened. And I sat and listened and I had to ask like, so are you looking to just like talk through things so you can sort it through your own head? Are you looking for me to give you ideas? And then she's like, I'm actually looking for ideas on this one. So I shared them and she's like, "Never mind, I don't like your ideas. I'm just here to talk and you need to listen. I'm like, got it. I can do that too. You know, but I like understand people aren't expecting you to solve their problem And I also feel like maybe just when you do talk to that person, let them take the lead, you Mm -hmm. know, ask an open-ended question. Hey, are you okay? If they want to talk about it, they can talk about it. You can't react though. Again, you can't, you know, start freaking out. You what? Why would you think that? You know, no reaction. Or if If you need to work, work on your poker face if you need to. Or if they start to say something, how they're feeling, the tendency is to jump in and try to argue why that shouldn't be the case. Right. Which is not, is, no. it's not helpful. I mean, it might be true, but it's not the right thing to do and it's not helpful. Right. So, but let them take the lead. And if they don't want to talk about it, then they'll say, I'm fine. Thanks for coming. And you give them a hug and let them know, you know, Hey, if you ever do want to talk, if you don't ever want to talk about it, that's totally fine. If you do ever want to talk about it, I'm here for you. But I think we could probably say in, in this, when we're talking about right after a suicide attempt, going in to give any advice is probably bad. Yeah. Like nobody's nobody needs to go in and give advice at that point. Well, and, and unless you are a professional counselor, psychiatrist, doctor, you know, they, there's professionals for that. Nobody, I was never expecting anybody in my life to be a professional. I really just wanted somebody to listen. Yeah. And really I just wanted somebody to like hug me while I cried. That was Mm -hmm. mostly you. I think like some of your shirts through that time period have like (laughs) mascara stains all over the chest part for me just sitting and crying. That's like, one of, the, one of the only times in my life I've been a ball baby. <laughs> so uh, we talked about things to say, and you talk about open-ended questions. I think just letting the person know that you're available. Yeah. That you're interested, that you love them. And when they want to talk, you're there at yeah. any time, night or day. Just letting them know that they're on your radar, you love them. And if they want to talk, great. And Yeah. I think the biggest difference for me, because there were some people, honestly, that talked to me and said the exact same words. And one of, you know, in one situation, I wanted to talk and the other, I wanted to get as far away as possible. And to me, like, I feel like you can really tell the intent. And if somebody is curious or it's more of a voyeurism type of thing, 
Like I really felt that. Mm-hmm. And then there were other people that I knew genuinely just had a deep love for me and wanted to make sure I was okay. Oh, the other point that I think is important is don't be offended if the person doesn't reach back. Yeah. Uh, I know we can sometimes <laughs> take it personally. Mm-hmm. And, and I think just don't, if the person doesn't want to reach out or doesn't reach back or yeah. needs a moment and then it's, it's don't take it personally. This kind of goes back to our episode from last week about the downside of mania. You know, when you're not in the best frame of mind, then you're not your best lovely self. And this is a thousand percent true after a suicide attempt. I mean, clearly you're trying to recover and sort through so many things emotionally and mentally and, and physically. And, and so, you know, you aren't going to reach back out, but you know, what's so funny. I had, uh, I had a, a sweet gal in the neighborhood who reached out and I never responded. She reached out several times and, and I never responded for, I don't know. I mean, a year, a couple years, I think. And I talked to her after I was kind of back up and situated because we weren't close. She was always friendly, but we weren't close, but I knew she was one of the ones that deeply cared. And I could feel that from her. But after a couple years, when I was kind of back up on my feet, I actually talked to her and told her how meaningful it was for me when she dropped off little treats. I mean, she would drop off like funny little notes and it wasn't even, you know, important things. She dropped off like hair product one day and it's like, if you're ever in the mood to wash your hair, here's something you can use after. You know, they, they weren't big things, but she was very much thinking about me. And when I told her a couple years later how meaningful that was. She started crying because at the time she really was just wanting to help. She just didn't know if she was doing it the right way. And for her to know that she did it exactly right, you know, was made a difference to her. Yeah. Well, then we talked about visits. How would you handle visits? Should you visit? Should you not? Should you try? Um... I feel like try. You know, I mean, I don't know if you want to shoot a text first, but I didn't respond to any text. I didn't answer my phone and I didn't respond to texts. Right. And I, and I actually liked that people dropped by even when I didn't respond at all. And like I said, my mom guarded the door nobody got in, mm-hmm. but I knew the people that dropped by. So I feel like try drop by, try, bring something, not chocolate because it's too hot right now and it's going to melt all over the doormat. So, you know, think these things through ahead of time, but bring something and leave it on the doormat with a note, you know, in case they don't answer, but if they answer and, and want you to come in, you know, just gauge the situation. But I, I think absolutely try, absolutely try. I think another point that if, if you, if they do have a few minutes to talk, um, you know, (laughs) set uh, parameters of how long your visit's going to be, and then maybe cut it in half. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Do less time than you think. It's always better to have a shorter visit yeah. than to overstay and to, to drain the person. Cause typically they're not going to have a lot they're of pretty exhausted. We had a situation, I think it was right after I had Sam or something. And I had a visitor come over and drop off dinner and she stayed for an hour and a half And I mean, she's just kind of a natural chatterer anyway. And I remember almost being in tears. I was so tired. I was so exhausted. And that was early enough on in my life that I didn't know how to say no and remove myself from the situation. Like if that happened now, I would probably just get up mid conversation and walk into the other room. Like here, read the situation and figure out what I mean by this. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But 
but that's really just read the situation from the person. If they want you to stay and the, they're talking, sit and listen. And I think like when you go, the most important message that you can give somebody is I'm here and I love you. Like you don't, there are, you don't need to ask any other questions other than are you okay? And is there anything I can do to help? And sometimes even if they don't say there's anything you can do to help, just say, Hey, uh, have your husband send me a grocery list or I'm just going to run to the store and get you some like milk and ice cream. Yeah. (laughs) But you again, can't leave that on the porch or chocolate or chocolate. No, neither, neither of the two, but just offer to do something that people would probably need help with, Mm -hmm. you know, drop off a dinner. I don't know. Drop off a drink, a treat offer to give their kids a ride somewhere. For me, I had a lot of people offer to take the kids Yeah. and my mom fielded all of that, but that one was a huge help. Yeah. So uh, there are many things you can do for sure, but just try to think through and think what would that thing be? And the most important emotionally is be a listener and be there because you care. Yeah. Well, and some important things to not say, um, and you talked about this a little bit, but it's like, you know, why did you do this? Yeah. You know, and you're, you're trying to figure out, cause that's, I mean, knowing from an outsider's perspective, you're just trying to figure out what happened and why. Right. And so you keep asking questions about, well, why did you do this? And don't you know that I love you? And don't you know how hard my life would be without you? And why, you know, it's just all these why questions that you want to bombard the person with. And it's just, you know, and I kind of get it because like, it's, like what a, what a scary thing for you to lose someone you love in your life this way. I mean, obviously you want to know, oh my gosh, how can we make sure this never, ever, ever happens? And so I understand the questions, but this is not the time for those questions. It may yeah. never be the time for that. Why did you do this question? You have to be uh, pretty far in the inner circle to ever have that one and be an okay question to ask. You know what I mean? But uh, I, I just, like you can't pepper with questions. It's exhausting. And for me, I, I didn't know any of the answers. So, and I can't assure you, okay. I'm just like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just be alive. So I think another important thing is to, to watch your tone and to just be calm. Yeah. Just practice being like, this is no big deal. Mm -hmm. We've been here a hundred times. We're just having a conversation and try to eliminate the emotion from, Mm -hmm. you call it freaking out. Yeah. You know, I think our tendency is if you are able to talk to him, you're like, uh, you know, you're kind of amped up and just be calm about it. For me, I just wanted to know, like, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. We're going to be okay together. Everything's going to be fine. So if you can convey that type of emotion to the person, like that's going to be more of a comfort than anything else is, you know what? I know this is hard. We're going to figure it out. I'm here for you no matter what, but everything's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, like that to me, I appreciated more. And I think we get practice with that. Like, (laughs) what does that funny meme that I showed you a little while ago? It's like, I did not mean to make that face out loud. (laughs) (laughs) It happens all the time. It's always super tricky with the kids FaceTime me sometimes because my face doesn't hide anything, (laughs) even though I'm very good at like editing my words and reacting. I have a hard time hiding my face. So there's been a few times when I've had to like turn the screen to you during conversations because <laughs> my face can't hide it. So before you go into the situation, like figure out, you know, keep your face, <laughs> maintain your face, make sure you can hide it, you know, cause you're there to be calm. Everything's going to be okay. That's what I'm here to tell you in my words and also in my face, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. 
and I think you can be a stabilizing uh, help um, as a visitor, or you can be a freak out. Yeah. <laughs> and unstabilizing. Which, course. in case you're going to have to leave, and I'm probably never inviting you back. <laughs> so on one of the websites that I took a look at, it says something that you could say is, you know, I'm sorry you've been feeling so awful. I'm glad you're still here. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because you're just, it's very matter of fact, you know, yeah. I'm glad you're still here. It's, yeah. We're not freaking out. We're well, just. And I think any version of that, I'm, I'm so sorry this happened. I'm so glad you're okay. Yeah. Like that's, I feel like that's kind of the perfect message and you know, it can be worded or said in different ways, but that, that's the message. Like, I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad you're okay. You know, and I love you. Yeah. And we've talked about this before, but a, a suicide attempt is if it, if there hasn't been a red flag that changes need to be made in mm -hmm. your life, this is it. This is it. And so, you know, this is kind of, you know, phase two and you don't need to do it immediately. You've got to figure out what changes need to be made and everything's on the table. Right. There needs to be probably a drastic overhaul. Yes. Because this is the not biggest, a slight little tweak. Right. This is a drastic overhaul of what we can do to change the weight and the circumstances and expectations in yeah. the situation that led because something led to this a long, usually a long buildup mm -hmm. led to this. And so afterwards, you know, when somebody's feeling better and recovered, it needs to happen fairly soon. I would say within a few days, or a bit, yeah. we're making some changes. Here's some things I've thought about. What are things you've thought about? What what can we do so that we're never in the situation again, moving forward? Yeah. And that, I mean, that's more of like somebody like you, a support person, like somebody right. within the family. That's not necessarily a friend or a neighbor. Right. Your spouse or maybe a parent or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, but really sitting down and brainstorming and, you know, in true brainstorming sessions, there are no bad ideas. Right. There are no bad ideas. And you can't say no, you know, you're just thinking of things and how about this? And, and, you know, the person will identify things, but it could be, uh, you know, job situation. It could be schooling that needs to be adjusted or, or overhauled entirely. Mm -hmm. Or know? getting extra help at home. Like or getting extra having help. more help cleaning or maintaining, taking care of the kids, having, you know, play days in the afternoons where the kids take off for a few hours or whatever it is. I just feel like there are so many things that it could be. And you just have to realize like anything is on the table. Every single thing in your life is on the table to be adjusted and to be discussed. Yeah. So it's important to know that that's what gave me hope is knowing everything's on the table. Anything I need, we can work around. And I, that's the empowering part. And I think that's what's lacking uh, in a suicide attempt is you just are completely out of ideas. You have no idea how yeah. things are going to be better. Right. And then when you start to realize, wait, we have a lot of solutions. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of things we can do. And I think the weight starts to lift. Yeah. But the person needs all their support people to say, it's okay if we adjust. It's okay if we change this. It's okay. Because I think typically, you know, the person is thinking, well, that's non-negotiable. Yeah. I have to do this. Yeah. I have to do that. And you have all these things that you feel like you have to do. And that adds weight. Yeah. And when all of a sudden you realize, wait, I don't have to do that, or we could do this differently, or this would be exciting. You know, there's just so many things you can do and brainstorming, I think yeah. is one of those important things. I'm going to refer everybody back to one of our very earliest episodes, uh, the energy budget. I think we called it the art of saying no, but it was the energy budget. Like yeah. how do we accomplish what we want to accomplish while having the least amount of weight and spending the least amount of energy. Cause you're just going to have to be more efficient in how you do that. But, but 
I mean, for me, it would have been very empowering to realize all of these changes can happen before the suicide attempt. And then I wouldn't have felt like this is the only choice I have to get this stuff to stop. Yeah. So hopefully it's preventative. But if it happens, this is how to support. So. And the changes can be made quickly. Yes. Today. Immediately. Not not a month down the road. No, because I remember even going to you that week saying something needs to change. And we had a whole bunch on our plate that week. And you said, okay, at the end of the week. And the attempt happened that week. I, I couldn't make it to the end of the week. Yeah. It was like I something needs to change this second right now. And so changes can happen mm-hmm. immediately. So if somebody yeah. comes to you or if somebody attempts, you can't. The answer is anything you need right now. Yeah. And it can't be like, oh, well, we can't take that one off the table. Yes, you can. Or Everything can be taken off the table. After the semester ends, then we'll revisit right. it. Or like, after, you know, your big, you know, presentation at work, then let's let's think about it. It's yeah. like, no, it's like, no, now. this second right now. Yeah, we can make it today. We yeah. can make changes today. Yeah. So, you know, obviously from... <laughs> our small perspective, there are people struggling all around us. Mm -hmm. I think that's true for everybody. And I think what I would like to see is that all these skills that we've talked about in reaching out and showing love and concern, uh, that those could be done prior to a suicide attempt. Yeah. And I think all of us know people where we can tell they're just not doing well. There's something going on, but we don't know what they maybe won't talk to us. And it's like, what do you do? How do you help? And that's the perfect time to implement some of these things. Drop by, you know, tell them you're there to listen if they ever want to talk. Offer to take the kids to the park if they have little kids. Yeah. So all of these things that we're talking about post-suicide attempt could easily be done and should be done well in advance to prevent. I mean, the whole point on all of this is to prevent uh, suicide altogether. Yeah. So if you have somebody that you know that's going through those times, you know, use some of these things and reach out and, and hopefully we can lift the weight that they're feeling and, and help them. And I just want to say thank you to those of you who do reach out and share when you're in such a hard spot. I mean, this is why we do this. This is why we have the podcast. This is why I wrote the book. This is why we have the conversations. So thank you for trusting us and reaching out. And I hope that what we have to offer continues to help in a real way. Excellent. Well, it was a little bit heavier. We started off with some humor. Then we had to deal with this kind of heavier topic. But hopefully you feel positive and have ideas and and feel hopeful about how to help yes. uh, those who are struggling. And people will probably not hear this, but we had to take several pauses throughout this episode because we were crybabying our <laughs> eyes out. And so we had to keep pausing. So hopefully the edited version won't uh, have all of that in. And I won't make the same mistake by uploading the unedited version like I did a few weeks ago. <laughs> True. This one would be a rough one unedited. So anyway, thank you again to all of you for your love and support. And we hope we're offering love and support back. So if you would like to learn more about living with mental illness and managing it in your day-to-day life, you can get my book, Thriving with Mental Illness, on Amazon. If you have questions or topics that you would like to see covered, you can submit them on Instagram at Thriving with Mental Illness or on Facebook, Mikkel Buck. If you like this podcast, rate it and share it with a friend. Remember, there are no topics that are off limits and no questions that aren't okay to ask. Thanks so much for being here. See you next time.